morning, everybody. Today we'll be studying through Genesis 32 to 33 about Jacob. Genesis 32 is fascinating. We really get a glimpse of what Jacob is like, and through Jacob, we see a portrait of what God is like. Verse seven. It says Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. So why is he so afraid and distressed? The backstory is that Jacob has an estranged relationship with his brother. He had cheated his brother out of the inheritance, and as a result, had to run away for fear that his brother would kill him. And now it's been some twenty years later. Now he just has left his father-in-law Laban. He's heading back to where he came from, the land of Canaan, and he sends out scouts to let his brother know he's coming back to seek his favor. Jacob doesn't really know how things will look once his brother finds out that he's coming back, and he has a sense that it's not going to go well. The scouts return, and Esau is said to have come to meet Jacob with four hundred men, and that's threatening. Why so many men? And it would seem like an army to Jacob in those times. Has Esau come to take vengeance? So what does Jacob do out of his fear and distress? Well, he hedges his bets. He comes up with a strategy to cut his losses. He splits up his camp into two, so that if one gets attacked, then at least the other half survives. And this is a very instinctive response that we can relate with. We make these kinds of calculations all the time, and we try to evaluate all possible options so that we can achieve maximal gain for ourselves. And perhaps what motivates Jacob to later send these peace offerings ahead of him is not so much to reconcile his relationship, but to try to lessen his brother's anger and wrath, so that when he gets to Him, Jacob has a chance of survival, and why is that? Because Jacob, by this point, has a lot to lose—not only his livestock and all that he accumulated, but it seems that Jacob loved his wives and children. His line, his family, is on the line. Jacob was shrewd and quick to act. Already in his mind, he's thinking about his escape plan and divided his group into two. After making contingency plans, he prays to God in verse nine to twelve. He starts by acknowledging who God is in his family line, God of my father and Abraham and Isaac. Two times in this prayer, Jacob recalls God telling him that He will do him good. In verse twelve, says, "Make your offspring dust of the sea." God made similar promise back in Genesis twenty-eight in a dream to Jacob that his offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and that God would be with him where he goes and will bring you back to this land. That's the promise that God has made to Jacob before. He also humbly acknowledges that he doesn't deserve what he has right now. That God has already blessed him. He left Jordan with just a staff, and how he returns with two camps of people, livestock, and he prays for deliverance here from Esau. We do not read about God's response to Jacob's prayer or plans. What we do see is that Jacob carries on with his plan, gathering the livestock, carefully instructing his servants what to say when they see Esau, deferentially and in clear submission to try to appease his brother, whose temperament Jacob knows well. We read Jacob making plans of the possession in order of importance. We see what's really in Jacob's heart. Jacob is a practical and realistic guy, a person that I think a lot of us can relate to, and he has a lot more to protect and dear to his heart now. He has a very logical plan and is doing the best that he can given the circumstances. Verse nine through twelve is Jacob's prayer. He recognizes that God has been good to him, but he also. Has recognized that he's in this potentially bad situation. He's run out of strategies to avoid this impending catastrophic loss. And what is commendable here, I think, is that Jacob prays to God. God, you told me to come back. I'm not worthy of the blessings that you've given me and the love that you've shown me. And so, please, God, please deliver me from the situation. Deliver me from the wrath of my brother. I'm afraid for my life, for the lives of my family. And here, he actually reaches back to the promises that he heard growing up from his father Isaac, the Abrahamic covenant promises. And that's the best that Jacob can do for himself. He recognizes that his life is at the mercy of others and at the mercy of God's hands. And it's that picture of helplessness. What do we do when we're helpless? I think we try our best to line up our ducks to 
strategize and plot out a path for the best possible outcome, a situation that's maximally optimized for ourselves and what we want. And then after that, we lift up a prayer to God. It does almost feel like Jacob tacks on this prayer as a second best option. However, God, I think, accepts this prayer. This passage reveals a picture of God who will respond to us at the smallest glimmer of need, of humility, of asking for help, asking for forgiveness. And it's much like the parable of the prodigal son and the father. God desires for our relationship to be restored. And when we make that first step to return to him, God is so loving that he is ready to receive us back. In verse 20, Jacob had thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. Jacob can only hope that as he is the party that's in the wrong, his brother will accept these peace offerings. Verse 21 describes he himself stayed that night in the camp alone. Jacob finds himself alone after he sent on ahead these presents to give to his brother Esau. And again, in verse 24, Jacob was left alone. He's alone after sending his family across the river Jabbok. Everything in his life is coming to a head here. And Jacob will finally have to face the consequences of his sins, his striving, his stealing, his scheming. He will have to face himself for who he is and how his way of life Though it has gotten him all this wealth, it also has brought him into this situation. There's also this interesting play on words here where Jacob, Wrestle, and Jabbok, which is the name of the river, all sound similar in Hebrew. And here Jacob struggles with God over his identity and who he is. And he has to be wrestled down and humbled and finally confess that he has run out of options and that he needs help from God. And so here we see that even with all that he can do within his control, Jacob finally knew that he was not in control. At the river Jabbok, he would not let go of his opponent, even though his hip got dislocated. He must have perceived this man to be from God because he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob knew he needed God's blessing to face Esau. As we read on, we see that just as Jacob was spared, even though he strove with God, he was spared from the wrath of Esau, even though he had wronged him in the past. What Jacob received in Esau was unmerited favor. All debts canceled, no grudges, no animosity, only love. And they wept together, perhaps overjoyed that they are reunited and able to reconcile after years of estrangement and fear. I think we are like Jacob. We pray our prayers, but we just in case we scheme and plan and try our best to dodge the threats and danger to our lives and our loved ones. Perhaps the underlying view of God that needs to be corrected is that God may not come through and we're left to fend for ourselves. In this passage, we see that Jacob came to an end of his wit and striving and realized it is not enough. We're still not in control. We too are helpless, fearful, and defenseless against tomorrow, and we need God. That same lesson Jacob learned is what we and I need to learn. What is amazing is that God knows Jacob better than he knew himself. God knew Jacob would not rest until he exhausted all the options. And at that point, God is finally able to bless Jacob with himself, grant him the emeritus favor of complete pardon, no strings attached. We need to trust God. And when God sees us striving, he shows us pity. He, he shows us mercy. And in the end, he's going to bless us with himself. In verse 30, it says, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Seeing God face to face. What should happen when we see God face to face? We should face judgment and wrath because we know who we are. We know that we've schemed and how we've lied and cheated and misrepresented facts to hide our true intentions and real desires that if examined would reveal how self-interested we are and that that is what dominates our decision making. Before a generous and good God, our selfishness causes us to feel shame and a little bit of self-disgust. And yet, though we do not know exactly how this wrestling match transpired, God chooses to bless Jacob nonetheless. Jacob has seen God face to face, and instead of being destroyed, he has been delivered. 
It does come at a cost, though, which is the cost of his ego, the loss of his strength, with the hip joint symbolizing the center of a person's strength. And what is often so strong in us is that ego. It's our pride. It's our desire for control over life and exercising our self-will. It is that desire that needs to be broken and dislocated so that we can be humble people. And here God blesses Jacob by breaking his ego. And I think for all of us, that's actually what we all need. That's what blessing would be for us. Whenever we experience our ego and pride get broken down, that's blessing. That's a good thing because we get brought back to proper relationship with God. Jacob keeps referring to himself with respect to Esau as your servant. And I think that reflects this fear of punishment that is justified. Fear of punishment, though, can be good in that it humbles us. We see ourselves for who we truly are, not the big person we made ourselves out to be. And again, this humble posture of repentance is reminiscent of Luke 15's prodigal son story. The son who comes back, I am not worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. But this sense of brokenness and humility is worth it, even at the cost of this permanent damage to his hip, because it helps him repent, receive forgiveness, and be reconciled in his relationship with his brother. In verse 3, it says, Once Esau comes, Jacob himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Jacob bowed seven times in just a random thought with a dislocated hip joint. Each time that he bent down must have been painful and difficult. In chapter 33, verse 4, it says, But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Isn't it again like that story of the prodigal son's return home? This here is a beautiful sight. One of the most difficult things in life is when you carry in you unreconciled relationships. When there's tension or unresolved issues in a relationship, there's pain and there's fear and there's distress. Words that describe Jacob at the beginning of our passage. And so when there's genuine reconciliation, it's one of the greatest joys in life. It's when peace and rest are able to flood into a person's soul and it's healing. And here we see a portrait of God in the last verse. Jacob says, For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Here we see a portrait of God, the running towards us, the embrace, the hugs and kisses, the weeping out of joy. And that's what God desires. He desires reconciliation of relationship. What does it mean to see the face of God? Earlier, Jacob had seen God face to face, and yet my life had been delivered. In verse 30 it says, it requires a wrestling down of our pride and ego within. It is only when we do so that the ways that we've estranged ourselves from God can be repented of and healed. Jacob says that seeing Esau's face is like seeing the face of God. Like Esau, God doesn't want our offerings. He wants us. We fear that our sin will cause us to be rejected. And yet, like Esau accepted Jacob, so God accepts us. But if we simply admit our fault, our sin, how it was our striving for ourselves and our own ego that broke our relationship with God, God is more than willing to receive us home and into his arms of embrace. Wanted to end us by reading Hebrews 4.16 to encourage us to approach God because we have Christ as our mediator. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right, have a good day.